Hey there, new and existing Filipino MomCast listeners. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Linda Gongi, one of your co-hosts here on the Filipino MomCast. If you're joining us for the first time, the Filipino MomCast is our small space in the podcast world that bravely opens up conversations around Filipino culture and generational narratives. Your hosts of the show, Rowan, Marianne, and myself are three moms living here in America in three different states with completely different upbringings and experiences, and we've come together to share unapologetically our experiences of how we are deconstructing and navigating this challenging journey called life. From parenting to everything in and around what you would talk about with a group of close friends, we talk about it here on the show to help other Filipinos and Filipino moms just like us. Guess what? We are dropping another two-part episode just for you. This time, we are unpacking the topic of sharing and embodying Filipino culture. What it looked like for each of us growing up and what it looks like in each of our homes now as we proudly embrace and incorporate it in our families and in our own unique ways. We believe this two-part episode will not only make you laugh, but that you'll gain another perspective and encouragement on what sharing and expressing culture within your family and with others can look like. Thank you so much for being a loyal listener and supporter of the show. Don't forget to share the podcast with another Filipino mom, post about the podcast through social media and tag at Filipino Momcast, or leave us an honest five-star review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on. The reviews not only remind us that the work we do matters, but more importantly, it allows us the opportunity to reach one more soul that doesn't need to feel alone in the journey simply because of your sharing. Also, we would love to know if this episode resonates with you. So get a hold of us and share your story. You can find all of our contact info in the podcast description. And if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and keep your notifications on for upcoming episodes. Thank you so much for sharing the load with us. We acknowledge the work you're doing to put your best foot forward for you, your family, our community, the next generation, and we are incredibly blessed to do this alongside of you. So here we go. Let's get started with season two, episode 10. We were talking about how to integrate your culture in your life, like I don't even know how to incorporate our culture into our lives because the closest <laughs> thing I have is food. Food. I was going to say food. That's like my closest connection and, and going it. to like an Asian grocery store. <laughs> and I need to find long beans at Ranch 99. <laughs> yes. I think that's really a good topic for us because we're so di- quite diverse. It's just food, but I'm sure there's so much more. And also, my dynamics in the home, I'm the only one who's really Pinay. My husband's non-Filipino. So it's a diverse, you know. Even if I speak the language, my husband's not Filipino, you see. So there's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's possible he's accommodating, more accommodating. I think that's important, especially as Filipino-Americans. Because, so I understand Tagalog. I don't really understand Ilocano. I know the bad words. Because that's the prerequisite, right? When you learn any language. My husband understands, but we don't speak. And then we never taught our kids Tagalog. They kind of know words and phrases. And then they understand food and going to the Asian market. I'm just trying to think, like, what else do we do? We don't do anything else. But at the same time, 
my parents never like we never went to those Filipino club things where you learn about the culture and all that like I've never done that so that's why it's like oh how do I teach my kids so they kind of did that in high school the older girls but nothing my on a consistent basis besides food that's our reaching point I think that's also good because the last couple weeks we've ordered out more than we normally do just because I haven't really had the energy by the end of the day. And it was interesting because the kids the other day were like, mom, can you just cook? Can you can you make home food? Because I'm tired of outside food. And I'm like, yeah. So usually that's some type of Filipino dish. Did you guys have, so it could also be like cultural, could also be like family tradition you know it's kind of like embedded so i'm curious without really labeling it as filipino but something passed on by customs and things that you guys do that oh that's probably just our family but then you go and go to different filipino families and they're like oh yeah we do that too and that kind of like usually happens no i think that that's a great way to look at it because to me everything's like not filipino i would say all of us sitting together rolling lumpia is a thing Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, when you're little, you take apart the wrappers. And then when you get older, you learn how to make the filling. And then when we make lumpia, if my in-laws are here, my mom's here, we all sit around the table and we do that. And I think that that's, that's a pretty cultural, like common thing to do the only other thing i'm trying to think of is we do a lot of christmas eve celebrating for christmas like we do a lot of our stuff on christmas eve and then christmas day is something different we did do that santa cruz on a long time ago when i was little mm. and that i was probably like 13 or so but i i didn't even understand it so i just went along with whatever my mom told me to do so did that i don't know like what what other cultural or like what other traditions do you feel like are common in the Filipino community? Because now I have no idea. But, but I'm curious when you were in school. I, I'm just curious because I didn't really go to school. I did a couple of years because I'm an immigrant twice, long story. But I'm curious when you were in school, how you knew you were different culturally because other kids would be doing something or may look different or their baon, their food to go is a certain, like maybe it's sandwich and yours is adobo. <laughs> like, like, it's like, <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm different. I guess, you know, it's from culture or something. Yeah. yeah. I would yeah. say for me, I actually ate lunch at school. That's when lunch was affordable. And then the only other thing that I remember when we were little and my friends came over, like if they came over in the morning, they were very shocked that we had rice for breakfast. That was like a big thing. Oh, if yeah, anytime yeah. anybody came over, they're like, you eat rice for breakfast? We're like, uh, yeah, we eat rice for every meal. <laughs> you know, and yeah. I mean, that I would say, and I'm just trying to think like, I'm trying to figure out like, how did I know I was Filipino? I don't even know if I understood what that was when I was little. I just knew that my mom told me I was Filipino. Also where we <laughs> grew up, most people were Filipino or some type of Asian, right? So yeah, now I'm trying to think like, I don't I don't remember. How about you, Lynn? Like, cause I know me and you are somewhat similar, not completely. Well, that trip you went on when you were 13, I have no idea what that even is. <laughs> <laughs> I think of my upbringing as not very 
cultural, I guess, in that way. One of the things since my parents divorced before I went into elementary school, I don't really have a lot of upbringing with a nuclear structure. And when my mom remarried, we then became an interracial family for a little bit. And I think the way that I knew I was different was not necessarily the food. I actually didn't think we were very Filipino. And I say that a lot because I look Filipino, but that is about it. I mean, and I can cook, but even now being vegan, it's not really... It's not really Filipino (laughs) in terms of like food. I think it really became more aware to me that I was different. I don't know if it was when my mom remarried because my mom is fair, fair skinned. And since my stepdad was Caucasian, I am obviously the darkest (laughs) between the three of us. And I remember, like, I think just in that sense, I wanted to be lighter. I didn't appreciate my Mm. skin color. And I remember my sister and my sister is a lot older than me. They're 13 and 16 years older than me. So there's a huge, like, we're in different generations for sure. And my older sisters grew up with my mom and dad. So they grew up with, you know, two Filipino parents. But I mean, I don't even know what that even is because I never got that experience. But I remember my sister telling me about Escanol and that a lot of people would use Escanol to, you know, lighten their skin. And I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, like I need to get me some Escanol because that's going to be the thing that makes me lighter to blend in with my family. My sisters are brown like I am, but I would say because they were so much older and out of the house, it was me, my mom and my stepdad. And so between our circle of three, I am the darkest. And so I wanted to go down a few shades to fit in. And I would have to say that from a really young age, I didn't appreciate my skin color. I think to me, I really thought like having lighter skin, like my mom had fair skin, but she wasn't white. And I just thought it was so beautiful. I don't know if that was planted because of the Escanol conversation, but I always thought, oh my gosh, I wanted lighter skin. And then I remember as I got older and I started to have a lot of Asian friends. A lot of my Asian friends had lighter skin than I did. That's kind of how I, that kind of like reinforced this. I want to be lighter than what I normally am, you know, but in terms of, I mean, I would say that that's kind of the early onset of realizing I was different in terms of like culturally, I learned a lot about being Filipino by being with Filipino friends. So it wasn't exactly in my household that I learned it. I mean, I learned some things, but I learned a lot by being with friends who are Filipino or like maybe my mom's friends who had a lot more culture intertwined into their house. I remember when I would go to a Filipino house and there was a big fork and spoon on the wall. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's that seems to be a thing. And then there's also the picture of the Last Supper. I didn't have any of those in, I didn't know what those were. And I kind of felt left out that Filipinos like had all of these like different 
things. And I think that's part of how I started to learn that maybe I'm not Filipino enough because I don't have those things incorporated into my environment, so to speak. So there's kind of like that identity thing where it's like, okay, like, should we, should we have a fork and spoon on our wall? Like, I don't know, but it's, it seems like if you're Filipino, like that's the thing to do. That's the thing to have, right? I did play piano for eight years ish or of some sort. And my sisters played flute and piano. So I think that might be like, you're supposed to learn an instrument. So I would say that I had to learn an instrument, which was, you know, the piano. And I do know of Filipino treats growing up Goldilocks and Mamun and all of that stuff, even though I didn't really realize it was Filipino. But other than that, like we didn't watch the Filipino channel TFC because we didn't have it. I would hear my mom speak Tagalog to like her friends in college because, you know, they keep in touch. And that's really the only time that I ever really heard the language in my surroundings. But I never learned anything. I didn't know what a I didn't know what a debu was. Is that even how you say it? <laughs> by watching the movie I learned <laughs> oh, <laughs> that, yeah. that's, that that's a that's thing a good movie it is and cotillions I was like do I get one of those <laughs> like is that is that a thing I don't think I've ever been in a cotillion I've actually I went to a cotillion mm-hmm. but I've never been in one so the cultural dances and stuff like that it was never something that I was sat down and like hey this is part of our culture I never got education like that and if things came up it was never okay oh you know this is this is part of the Filipino culture there was never a reference or a connection to some of those things and I remember when I was younger we used to go to this church and now that I realize it me and my mom and this was already after my stepdad had passed, there was one other family there that were Filipino. And my mom was really, really good friends with them, that they would do some cultural things for church. Like they would do the tinickling. I remember they were practicing in one of the rooms and I'm like, oh my gosh, what is that? (laughs) I didn't even know that that was like, that's a thing for us. And all I was thinking was, oh my gosh, how are they not like (laughs) getting caught? They totally (laughs) would get caught um, that but it was always so fascinating to me to see all of these things but it still felt so far-fetched to me in terms of identity and so that's my upbringing in regards to exposure culturally growing up. My mom did cook Filipino food. I can see now which of them were actually Filipino versus before when I was like, oh yeah, my mom just makes soup and it happens to have a salmon head. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, Yeah, I didn't know that was a Filipino thing. But then there were other things because my stepdad was a diabetic. She had to alter a lot of the foods so that he could eat it. So what was traditionally Filipino food was very modified, like the adobo that I knew growing up is not the adobo that like everybody knows. <laughs> it's not. It is. It's. It's very different. Let me tell you because the first, like, I think the first time I really had like adobo was in high school. Okay, like high that, school guys. That's far. That's like, far. 
that's like high. Like in a couple of years, I'm going to be a young adult (laughs) now. And what was so interesting is because I was like, oh my gosh, like this is really good. And I'm like, what isn't? They're like, it's adobo. And I'm like, no way. Like this isn't adobo because my association with adobo is it's dry and it's yellow. And like my mom, like she would make it with turmeric. Is there like a turmeric version of adobo? Like, no, right? Because it's soy sauce. Like, yeah, there's no sauce. Yeah. Yeah, there was no sauce. There was like, it was not vinegary. So maybe it was because it was chicken, she called it adobo. I don't know. Oh, and we didn't have a rice cooker. So <gasps> what? yeah, yeah. Okay. So we didn't have a rice cooker here. Like, hear me out though. I learned how to make rice because my sister had a rice cooker oh. because my sister like knew all of these things. And it's not that we never made rice. My mom just never did it in a rice cooker. She would do it over the stove. That's weird. Mm-hmm. And then as she got older she bought this oh my gosh you guys okay no shame but she bought a (gasps) microwave like rice cooker like these are real things like so it's this big plastic container looks like a table okay but seriously it's white (laughs) and it has it's like you put the rice in you know you do all the things and then you put the the lid on it's like tupperware you know and then it like snaps in place to like hold the lid and it's got a vent and everything and you stick it in the microwave and and you, I don't know for how long you do it, but it cooks rice. Wow. So there is like a microwavable version that doesn't get plugged into the wall and has like a separate container with the lid. I'm, I'm so wow. confused on how to do it. Yeah. Like, it's like, you know, like the Uncle Ben's like minute rice kind of. Like uh-huh. that's, that's kind of like, that's the only association I can make with Yeah. That. So we had, we do have, we did have Uncle Ben's, but I also know that my mom had rice. But because we didn't eat a lot of it, we weren't buying like 20, 25 pound rice like we do now. <laughs> Like it was never that big. And here's another thing that I thought was so neat because whenever I went to like an Asian house, you know, like the rice dispensers, yeah, yeah. press the button and the rice comes out. I was like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. Many things that I was like, like we just, we didn't have. And I was learning to be Filipino or Asian just through my experiences, like with other people, because that wasn't something that we had. And I just thought it was kind of like the coolest thing. We never had the carpet on the rug that if it like flips over, it's really spiking. (laughs) I know what it is, but we didn't have that. And I mean, there, there is a lot. I think that is why it was really hard for me to associate as Filipino, because even though I knew that I was, I didn't feel like I could, I guess in a sense, not necessarily like be worthy, but even I guess in the sense, like qualified to call myself Hmm. Filipino because I have no experience as being Filipino and like to associate with someone and get the experience from someone else. It just felt like I was supposed to have direct experience in being Filipino, if that makes sense, instead of being associated or introduced to it by a third party. Then that means that you assimilated into our house very well, because I didn't even realize all the things that you said, because yes, we had, I don't know by the time we met, if we still had the spoon and fork on the wall, but we did have it at our first house in San Jose and the last supper was still I think in my parents house now and then the only other thing I was thinking about was like everybody's related so 
everybody's tita and tito and that's my cousin. Oh, I have a tita boy and an auntie baby. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, something like that. I'm, I'm trying to really wrap my head around. What did we do with all that? I would say my mom talked about, but I never really participated with her because it was way too early and I refused to go. And then midnight mass when I was Catholic and I was with my parents. That's something that we did. And yeah, and everybody was like my cousin or my uncle or my aunt. And we did have a tita baby and we did have an uncle boy. I, I have an uncle boy right now. My dad's brother, my dad's oldest brother. So yeah, but wow. Okay. I never really thought of it that way, but I will tell you that in our house, I always just felt like you just fit right in. Like you just knew. Well, by the time you and I met, I had exposure, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I had exposure to who I was. (laughs) Yeah. But I think a lot of it had to do with me being associated with other Filipinos and visiting different homes. And I have been to my mom's friends' houses that still hold the culture. And I've been to Filipino homes. So I already kind of like articulated like what that was. I think for me, it was more like, okay, if we are the same, then why isn't our house like that? Like, how come we're not talking? Like, how come we're not speaking that? Or how come I'm not learning that? And, you know, like my mom's not a very traditional. So, I mean, that would explain a whole lot too in, you know, the passing of things. But I would say the bulk of my Filipino education, if you will, was when I was in high school, when I was in a relationship with someone who was Filipino. And they were very, I don't want to say like very traditional, but I got exposure to all of the things of being Catholic, going to church, going to mass, doing the Hail Mary. So I've actually been to more Catholic churches than I, well, probably not now, but like growing up, I actually thought that if you were Filipino, you were supposed to be Catholic. And I was wondering why we weren't because we weren't Catholic. So like I have- Where were you guys? Hold on. What happened? (laughs) Back up, back up. (laughs) Yeah, we weren't Catholic. All my life, I've been trying to like, oh, okay, like there's one thing that I can relate to somebody like in being Filipino outside of me looking Filipino. Right. And I really can't think of a whole lot, which is why all of the things that we did, I'm like, okay, that's, that's not what we did. I didn't know what that was, but I literally every Filipino I met always talked about mass and always talked about being Catholic and stuff like that. And so on top of the list of how come we don't have a fork and spoon on our wall, how come we don't have a last (laughs) supper on our wall? I think I'm supposed to be Catholic, but why aren't we Catholic? You know, it was those kinds of things where I didn't really understand what it was like to live as a Filipino until I was in that relationship where I learned a lot of those cultural things. I had never been called enough until that relationship. I didn't know that that's like a term that that's, yeah. Is your mom first generation like she was born and raised in the Philippines is that yeah. Of course, there's nothing wrong with not being traditional. I'm oh, curious, yeah. Yeah, I'm curious, um, like, with your mom, like, just sharing with your mom, just in retrospect, what could have been her worry? I mean, people talk about, oh, not their children not assimilating. But usually, you still see in the home that they're doing stuff. But, like, even you rarely, it sounds like from what you were sharing, rarely heard your mom even speak in her native language. Things were 
different, you know? And, and just looking back, what do you think seems to be her, I don't know the word, resistance or like her hiccup when it comes to passing that down, the culture? I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, these would all be my observations, obviously. I wasn't taught to speak Tagalog because my parents didn't want me to have an accent. From what my mom has told me is, you know, for her growing up, she actually learned how to speak Tagalog in school. She wasn't taught at home either. And my grandma, my mom's mom, she was never present in bringing up my mom. And so I know that there's a lot of stuff there. And so I want to say like intuition, but I guess what comes to mind is my mom and dad are both Filipino. And then my mom got remarried Caucasian and my mom didn't really have like a trip. I keep saying traditional, but she didn't have that cultural influence, even though she was brought up in the Philippines. I guess it was her dad was in the war because we are part Hispanic. So, I mean, I don't know if that runs deep in the in the veins of all Filipinos, because I know there's like the war and all, all of that stuff. But she grew up going to private school. She grew up having people do things for her because mm. that. I was going to ask mm-hmm. you her social economy status level. I, I mean, I, yeah. I mean, that sounds, yeah. that sounds pretty up there, yeah. you know? And so like to have other people do things for you. And when they came to America, my mom was always very much about wanting to make sure that nobody had to do anything for her, that she wanted to be able to, I don't know if it was to prove or anything, but that she could take care of herself, you know? And so my guess is kind of like the assimilation, the proximity to whiteness I don't know if that's it, but at the same time seems to lend itself as a pretty good explanation to my upbringing. Not that it was purposeful, but that it was just the direction that we were living. We were going towards that. And maybe, you know, my mom's, maybe even her association with Filipinos, right? Because I know that that's also a thing when we can turn on each other, right? Especially coming to America and assimilating. And after her and my dad divorcing, I mean, these are all speculations, of course. I'm sure there's so much stuff deeper than that. But my guess is that like after they were married almost 20 years before they divorced and And so my thinking is that for whatever reason that that was, and kind of maybe seeing how Filipinos are in general, could have created an image in her head that that's not the road she saw herself going down, not in like a bad way or anything, but that could that could be a possibility of why that was. And which would also make sense because I remember when I started to get into relationships, like the very first crush I had, you guys, I had, it was like in first grade and he was like the cutest guy ever, at least like in first grade, what my my, my first grade mind thought. <laughs> and his name was Chris <laughs> of all things. Like um, which is closer my, to our lives. <laughs> which, is a, which, is, which is the name of my husband right now. His name is Chris, but he was... White. 
And my mom loved him, loved him. And she was so on board with me. Like she just loved that we got along. And then going into my high school years, my longest relationship at the time was with someone who was Filipino. I remember her initial reaction was like, oh, he's Filipino. Like looking back now, I mean, back then I was just like, okay, like that's mama. Like that's totally her. And now that I can articulate it a little bit better, there is definitely something that has happened to her that has given her that kind of association to Filipino men. When you were growing up, Lynn, did you not like the part of you that's Filipino? Yes. To be Um, fully transparent, yes. There are truly no secrets, even though they're not directly uttered by our ancestors or they run through our veins is what I find. So we pick up messages based even from words spoken, but even more with words not spoken, I find. So I asked that question just to, yeah. Yeah, no. And I mean, I don't have any shame in saying that because that's that's part of what I thought before. As I learn more and more about Filipino Americans and that mindset of like renouncing yourself as anything of your culture in order to be accepted by, you know, the dominant population, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah why I had certain biases that I didn't even know I had until I was forced to face them. Yeah. So that makes a lot of sense. And I was curious, not because we're talking about also our own children, how to pass on the culture. So in general, of course, the way we pass on culture, not just by spoken, but like the way our parents place meaning on being Filipino is really the most significant. So whether it's spoken or not, our children learn, oh, that's a cool thing, or that's not so cool type of messages. And so I really appreciate your honesty. Also, I really find it because I grew up um, in the Philippines, as you guys know, it's more homogeneous. And I feel like it's actually easier for me than being like a Filipino American, even though I also had an experience of being an immigrant twice when I was 11. I came here for like two years. I was supposed to be here forever and ever until I get a round trip ticket, but something happened where I had to return back. So I also had that experience of trying to lose my accent, also being the obedient Rowan because I stayed with my grandma, so do the right thing. I, I was separated from my mom. She only she took a flight. We were supposed to migrate in chunks. So it was me and my younger sister. So we stayed with a relative. So my mom made sure, okay, make sure, Rowan, you're the ate. Wake up the earliest. If somebody's in the sink, push them away. I mean, gently. And do the dishes instead. Make sure the electricity is always, you know, off if you're not using it. Just stay in your space. So I was very obedient. I was really doing a lot of whatever I need to do because I don't want to disappoint my, my mom. And then also in school, I was trying to assimilate all that but anyway so that was my experience I could almost say I was a 1.5 but that there was a a halt in that experience I came back to the Philippines I stayed there finished some schooling there then I came back when I was 23 and so then I became the first generation immigrant my mom never stayed in America to live during before the 9-11 immigrant from the Philippines have to be very creative if you want your petition there's so many different 
different petition. But in our case, my mom had to be in America at least every year. So she keeps our petition going. So that costs a lot of money. Also, she has to stay here and sort of like pretend she's really desire to work here, even though that's really not my mother's desire. Her desire is just to give us a shot. She has a business in the Philippines, but she had to work odd jobs. Like she was a caregiver. She had like horror story of like, of being a nanny. I share that because my experience is different, but also how I could only attune to the Filipino American, right? It's almost like there's a lot of description of shoulds and I think in the island so it's almost if you live in an island you don't have to really need a, a microscope to look at the leaves there the puno the trees there because you're already there but you're across the island you're like whoa I was told I'm from there. My family's from there. And so you grab a binocular, right? And you keep looking at stuff. It's like, oh, I think I think that's it. You know, so you keep creating and learning different things that are supposed to. I think that's a lot of pressure on Filipino-Americans and the shoulds of like, you know, having a spoon and a fork. In the motherland, there is less of that because we are in the, in the island. And just the word to qualify is really like painful for me. Just thinking about our own children. We once were children, so you had that experience. But for our own children now to want to qualify for something that they cannot fully qualify is really a painful state. And so I think the, the conversation of how to pass on culture without that much pressure is really important because there is research that when we embrace more of our cultural identity that really equals better self-esteem more centered self-concept so yeah I'm also leaning on you guys I, I think language is really important to share but not everyone knows the language and so now there is a lot more Filipino American moms that are so just exposure I think exposure I mean if you speak the language for me, speak the language because there's so many. The culture is embedded in the, the language. The sound, the tone is very different. There's certain things that are really hard to interpret in, in English. So language and I think history, knowing history, the culture of poverty. So when you were talking about your mom, Lynn, I was really interested. Huh, I'm wondering what's her socioeconomic level. I, I could have, like, I'm guessing I would guess that she's uh, from a higher level of SES, social economic status but the culture of poverty to learn that is really important there's a lot of embedded culture there why certain things become toxic in the Filipino American culture could really be understand by understanding the culture of poverty and you don't have to go there I guess if I would have a, a recommendation maybe which I don't do this a lot either listening to the news once in a while a reputable news like in the Philippines and kind of like get a sense of what's going on there. Why people have to adapt a certain way, how they have to be malleable. Like for instance, you know, there's traffic there. If you try, like we have checklists here, right? We can go to the library and then, okay, I'm going to go to see my uh, hair person. So the Filipino to survive, the Filipino context have to be more malleable. So there's always this thing as a child, be like the bamboo. It's strong, it bends.
bends, but it bends with the wind and comes back, you know, to its natural state. Because there's typhoon, there's traffic, you could be stuck in traffic for three to four hours. And so you have to be flexible. Even the way we respond, actually, I have a post on this, I think, on my Instagram, like American culture, right? If you ask someone and invite, are you going to my party? And you give the details, American culture, and this could be if you're Filipino, just I'm just talking about the, the culture, the expression. Yes, you say yes, I'm going. Or no, I can't make it, right? In the Filipino lexicon, there's so many. There's a yes, oh, oh. There's an indefinite yes. Oh. So there's actually a, a, a graph almost like so. Yes, indefinite, yes. No, indefinite, no. And then there's another one that I'm forgetting. So all of those have actually language like malamang, which is possibly there is bahalana, which is almost like it depends or like it's more like God willing. I think that's a more appropriate. But anyway, I'm going off tangent. So so language, I guess I'm saying and then history, knowing the culture of poverty. What else, guys? Yeah. No, I think that was like, yeah. I think that's really good. For me, that was my experience growing up. And like I said, it wasn't until I got into relationships where I was more exposed to the culture. And now being married in a Filipino family and my in-laws go to the Philippines every year and they're talking about the stories and the traffic. Like I get the stories of all of that stuff. And which even for me, it's like to think of it in a different perspective. This is how I'm learning, like even more so what it's like to be Filipino, because now I'm surrounded by it every day. You know, my mom's upbringing. I mean, there's there's a whole lot more than just like her social economic status. I mean, that's part of it. Right. But there's also the mental part of it. You know, her only being raised by her mom because her dad died in the war. And there's there's so much much of that that definitely came down the line but I also think it's been the knowledge and the association has definitely found its way back into my life and I mean I don't know how that even happened but I think that's why now I can say yeah I know what it's like to be Filipino because like I have so much exposure to it now like even though I can't speak it or whatnot I know I have a better understanding maybe not like as thorough as someone who has lived there and been raised there and you're right Rowan like there's so much that plays into the different way of thinking depending on what class you are being someone who's like in a lower class is going to experience life a lot different than someone who's in a higher class you know and I remember one of our old episodes we were talking about socioeconomic status because Marianne I remember you asking that and then Rowan you said it goes up to like F or K or something <laughs> I was like wow like I didn't know any of that I don't I mean I don't even I can't even like comprehend what that even means and at the same time it makes sense that there would be different mindsets on top of like the mm-hmm. colonial mindset that holy cow like for real give us Filipinos some grace y'all like this is some legit unlearning and we're learning to do this not because somebody told us but because of how amazing our bodies are Mm. that we have these things inside our bodies that are telling us this just doesn't feel right you know that's yeah so your Filipino sisters and brothers and authors and you know all of that stuff give them some grace y'all we are all like we are all deconstructing constructing this like hardcore. Yeah. 
black yeah yeah and as first generation filipino americans we were taught to assimilate i was taught to assimilate and i mean even i know like colorism is real because i am brown guys like i cannot get any lighter this is just the color i am and i have a sister who's significantly fairer than i am and then i have another sister who's we're about the same color and it's just so funny how even that plays a big role in being filipino and qualifying because i've heard that i heard that my whole life oh you're not filipino enough because you don't speak Tagalog or you're not Filipino enough because, you know, all these things. And I always just think I didn't have any control over that. I guess like what we went in, like, I guess we have to just try our best to give our kids enough knowledge of what it, the Filipino culture has and then just create the space for them to also explore on their own. Like last year, my older kids, they were in this cultural bear of some kind and they learned to nickling in a few months which I was terrified for because you could get caught on your ankles and then bruised and they did fantastic that was one of the things for them too it's nice to um, be in company of people who look like you it's nice to have other people understand how your life is I was also thinking taking off your shoes at the front door you guys I have friends who don't do that and I'm like oh yeah we take our our shoes in the front and if you still tell me I don't have to I will still take off my shoes because I was told that that's what I have to do Lynn how do you feel like you're trying to help your kids I guess just I don't know remember that they're Filipino know that they're Filipino I tell my kids they're Filipino and where their grandparents are from and what languages they speak I can't really speak to them but you know and food food is like the language in our house to make everybody come down the stairs is like dinner's ready if it's filipino food everybody's really happy i can um attest to that like your mom's palabo is well known (laughs) that okay so we haven't had that palabo in a really long time and you know when we went back for the funeral that was one of the things i was like mom are you gonna make palabo she's like no and i was like oh i kind of miss palabo i think she's gonna just so you know i think she's gonna start making it again soon oh my gosh gosh, no but you have to try marianne's mom's palabo it is oh it's really good and they're like yeah what there was there was a point where my mom and my dad when my dad was healthy my mom actually taught my dad how to make palabok and his you know what I actually think the palaboks that we all ate were my dad's palabok because <gasps> my mom said she taught him how to make palabok and his palabok was better I don't know where. you know what like that's a testament like I learned so one of my one of my friends like you're speaking about Filipino food one of my friends when I was a young adult like in my early 20s I should just say she was Filipino and I used to um, work with her and she definitely had a family with a lot of exposure to the culture and stuff like that. And then I remember she was talking about, oh, I made punset. And this was, oh my gosh, you guys, you're going to love this story. This was when Chris and I first started dating. We had like our first apartment together in Santa Clara, California. And I remember this. Okay. Yeah. Like down the street from the mall. And so one day she comes to work and she's talking about like, oh yeah, you know, like I made punset it and you know and all that and I was like oh my gosh like you know how to make puns it because that that's apparently like so difficult you know I mean it is difficult if you don't know how to time liquid with things like yeah we have to cut each strand of carrot come on and oh, like I just buy my carrot oh yeah, I know the shredded like, ones come the on, shredded yeah. ones yeah the shredded ones but then like you have to do like the beans and no okay so anyways <laughs> so she made puns it and she brought it to work and I 
was like, oh my gosh, you made this. And I was like, I want to learn how to make it. I'm a visual person. And so she was telling me, this is how I did it and whatever. And so like, I'm getting this visual of it. And so now I'm super gung-ho. I'm like, all right, I'm going to go make punsit because I really like punsit. And now I get to cook it, you know? <laughs> so I go and I grab all of the ingredients and she even like wrote it down for me what to do. And this is probably before YouTube and all of that stuff. It wasn't like, oh, let me go YouTube that and see like how people do it, right? It was like written instructions and you just have to visualize and hope it turns out good. So anyways, I was making it and the thing that screwed me up is the liquid and adding the dry noodles and knowing how much liquid actually cooks noodles and like all of that stuff. So anyways, my punset came out really mushy, but so I was like, okay, well, you just fry it more, right? Like now I'm just like, let's dry it out because you know, the liquid's going to evaporate at some point, right? And it wasn't working. So there was a lot of liquid, but it just wasn't, it just wasn't firming up. I guess you like the noodles. I was like, I could probably fry these and it'll, it'll be good. Right. So that wasn't working. So I took the punset and I put it on a tray and I tried to put it in the oven. I tried to bake it so that it would dry the noodles so that we could eat it. Okay. This is my first encounter with punset. And so we take it out and I try it and I'm like, Oh, this is awful. I have just done our entire culture a disservice because (laughs) it's so bad and so my and my husband is so sweet he tries it and he goes he goes no it's good I was like you don't have to like like it (laughs) so here's the full circle moment of that so when we got married and we moved back to California after living in Hawaii that's a whole nother story but we moved back and we were staying with my husband's grandma in her house in San Jose grandma makes punsit and grandmas know how to make good punsit and so I would stand there and I would watch her and I was like oh my gosh this makes so much sense I think because now I have cooking experience and it was oh (laughs) that's how you do it and so I learned how to make punsit by watching her and one time she had me make punsit for the party right oh gosh I was like I was like oh my gosh that's uh I don't know if I can do it you know so anyways I did it unsupervised and she gave it like that this is good and I was like because that's like the right that's a rite of passage that is when a rite like of passage she goes yeah like lynn cooked that and i was like oh. I, it's just oh. you know it's just one of those when it comes from like i'm like that's not even my grandma that's my husband's grandma you know yeah. so that's how i learned how to make fun sit i learned from grandma and you know if you learn from an elder you're legit learning yeah. the right way oh yeah and that's the like only that's- way you can do it that's the only way you, you can cannot do it. do it any other way or else it's not the same. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Oh, yeah. Aisha, I really love that story. I do too. And it's almost like a really excellent metaphor for our topic. When you are learning your culture, especially for a child, you wouldn't know how to cook that pancit right? Everything looks foreign because it's not something that you're used to, you're familiar with. So you'll try and you probably keep trying and put it in the oven. It's like, ooh, this is good. (laughs) And people might actually (laughs) criticize you, right? Like, Well, like, why would you put punset in the oven in the first place if you're like not heating it up? I don't know. Sometimes, (laughs) But anyways, that's kind of beyond the point. They're probably like our listeners are probably like, who puts it in the oven to heat it up? You know? But yeah, but you're crying. We're trying to keep everything warm. I do. (laughs) But you kept trying anyway, and and learning culture is like that, right? And then if your mom didn't give you 
the experience that was satisfying for you, you can keep trying. You can actually borrow yeah. somebody else's binoculars. Like when you were going to your friend's home, you were actually borrowing their their binoculars. Yeah. And that's that's cool. And then with the Lola, that's like, wow. I think that's the message for immigrants. When our children try and they're trying hard, let their eyes sparkle, right? Because yeah. don't make the standard the standard from the motherland. They, they only need to, uh, we're trying to grapple with two cultures. It's like just good enough. Like let our, our eyes sparkle, like with the pancit that was offered. This is the most, the standards, <laughs> like this is, I, I'm sure it's super delicious, but it's, this is spectacular. Lynn made this. My daughter, my son made this. And and make it the highlight, that pancit. I think what we can share with our children is meeting our expectation with what is just enough for them. Yeah. You know? And also trying for us, learning if you're from here. It's fine. And also, if you don't know the language, that's really more of a reflection of the generation prior. The best way to teach also is to look for Filipinos where you feel like, that's, I, I like that type. They, they embody the traits and whatnot and expose your children. And sometimes we like to explain so much about the Filipino culture, but I think the best is modeling and hanging out with someone who has the embodiment, what we want to pass on to our children, which is really really us facing to our own cultural insecurities and embracing that that part of us so that that's the message we convey to our children that it's fine the pancit doesn't have to be perfect but you know it's it's you know it's my pancit thanks for joining us on this episode of the filipino momcast don't forget to subscribe and to share this podcast with others, whether it's through social media, a text, or a quick shh. Hey, have you listened to these ladies? It's a small step in getting the conversation started and rippling that change into existence, which you play a huge part of. Thanks so much. We'll catch you on the next episode.